Sorry, if Moses didn't earn this, nobody ever in history did. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Tracy. Good morning. And we've got Eric. Good to be here. And we've got Karen. Hey, everybody. There she is. I knew she was listening. I'm listening. (laughs) Well, I know there's a lot of bad news going on in the world. There's craziness going on in the world. There's craziness going on even with, you know, just in the lives of the four of us here. But I want to share something really awesome that happened this week. My oldest son, Xander, Alexander, we call him Xander, he sat for his Eagle Scout Board of Review and successfully passed. So I have in my household an Eagle Scout. Woohoo! Um, congratulations. So that is a pretty cool thing here. Um, they were, uh, we were able to listen into part of the interview, and uh, there's not very many boys who start scouting and make it to Eagle Scout. Only about eight percent, and um, it's quite a it's quite a deal. Yeah. It'll help him out. Um, he's talking about wanting to go into the Air Force. That's going to give him a, a pay bump if he goes into the Air Force, and uh, some other things. You know, it's just uh, it, it'll it'll look good down the road and it was a lot of work his he 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 and his mom get the credit i had nothing to do with it i went i went camping a few times you know and uh got so much paperwork and a project and and uh actually his project was for our church he built was called a gaga ball pit you guys maybe seen it there it's uh, like an octagonal ring where kids play this game with a ball and they try to hit the ball at each other's legs and if you get hit in the legs then you're out that's a it's fun. I'm usually out in about two seconds if I ever <laughs> try to jump in there. Uh, but uh, kids love it, and uh, and the board was they were impressed with the project. So it's pretty cool. He has some, they have to do a project that benefits the community, and he chose our church to do that. So that was cool. So anyway, little bragging rights for me. I uh, I get to claim it, even though I didn't have much to do with it. But other than you know, you know, being the awesome awesome dad that I am. <laughs> you get a pay bump, Matt. Oh, do I? I get a pay bump once we boot him out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, there's all that money I've been missing for 18, 20 years. <laughs> so did you did you guys um, happen to see on Facebook my interesting thing that I did this week? <laughs> yes, tell all about that. Did not. <laughs> I uh, I shaved almost three feet of hair off my daughter's head. She did a St. Baldrick's challenge to raise cash for cancer research, and then she donated the hair to Wigs for Kids. So she's she's currently at the the fundraiser still goes for another, I think, week or two. I can't remember exactly, but she's got $1,000 so far, and then the hair will... So she she had her hair assessed by a beautician. Usually when she donates, it's between 12 and 18 inches. This time, she went all the way to the scalp instead of going to chin level or shoulder level. And she had a beautician look at her hair and said, yeah, they'll be able to get probably two full more wigs if you actually do a shave. 
So nice. anyway, that's what we did. And it was pretty interesting. <laughs> and she, and then she went camping the next night outdoors in a tent <laughs> without her, without her own natural blanket. <laughs> anyway. Well, that's cool. That is, that is cool. Yeah. That was kind of, kind of fun to watch. I think she needs to, she needs to go back to the Mohawk part. Like, the little bit I saw when they were, when they were, when they were shaving and she still had the that little po- strip on yeah. the, the, the Mohawk. The Mohawk. That was good like, stuff. Like, yep, she needs to keep that. She needs to throw that back. That's pretty cool. <laughs> now, that's awesome. That's cool. All right. Well, let's get into our discussion this week. This week, we finish the book of Deuteronomy. And by finishing the book of Deuteronomy, then we finish uh, the Pentateuch. And um, it's been you. quite a journey. Go ahead. Except bless oh, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the the to- Torah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, it's been quite the journey. We've it's been um, there's been a lot that's happened in these first five books. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus Mike, plus yes. Job. You know, we we threw Job in there, but man, it's been a lot. But so anyway, we're starting to come to the end of an era here. And chapter thirty one, Deuteronomy thirty one, begins by telling us that Moses is hundred and twenty years old. When I read that, I finally realized why he died. He died because God sent him to climb a mountain when he was 120 years old. And that <laughs> you know, was it. You know, you might think so, but you get there. It talks about how his eyes weren't dim. He wasn't yep. frail. And, right. uh, and uh, it was, um, this was definitely a supernatural thing, but we're not there yet. So uh, He's still alive at this point. He's, he's still alive. So Moses is 120 years old. Verse 3, right off the bat, verse 3 struck me uh, with something really neat here. It says, God crosses over before you. Because, of course, Moses is not going to get to cross over into the the promised land. So Moses is relating to the Israelite people that God crosses over before you. And the very next sentence is, Joshua crosses over before you. Now, why does that stand out to me? Anybody got any ideas? I, think I don't know. To me, it just said leaders go at the front. Well, here's here's where this goes for me. Okay, it just said God crosses over before you. Uh-huh. If you don't know this already, Joshua or Yeshua, when you translate it through the Greek and whatnot, is Jesus. So this could literally be translated, Jesus crosses over before you. It's the same name. We say Joshua, they would say Yeshua, and that is the same name they would have called Jesus. It's the exact same name. So it just kind of struck me interesting. God crosses over you, Jesus crosses over before you, or God crosses before you, and Jesus crosses before you. Sort of a double entendre there that I'm sure nobody at the time got, but now in our hindsight, we can look back at that, or at least I do. I look back at that and go, oh, wow. I made note of that, too. That That's no, cool. Joshua one, that's really cool. I missed that. But the the um, that God goes before you because in verse six, he's it, we get a lot of repetition here. He says, "Be strong and courageous," and this is this is how uh, Joshua is encouraged. Those words show up a lot. That um, God goes ahead of you, and I think Moses is addressing the fear of the Israelites who had kind of idolized Moses. And he said, look, God is better than me. 
Like you get God to go across with you, not me. And he knows they're going to be like, oh, no, we can't do it. And he's, I think, assuring them that, look, I won't, but somebody better will go with you. And that's God. It's, it almost reminds me of Jesus as he's leaving. He says, hey, look, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. And you don't know it, but that's actually better. And mm-hmm. they're thinking, well, but we want you, and which they do, and I would too. But they don't really, they don't grasp how much better it is to have God with them than Moses in this case, or in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit than the physical presence of Jesus. You know, I looked at it as once again, connected those dots. every good leader kind of paves the way for the next leader. You know, and I think, too, when, when he mentioned Joshua, then it was like, okay, so here's the next one. You need to, you know, you need to follow suit just almost to the point of how you followed me, which wasn't absolutely great. But Joshua's next. But I think he also had to once again reiterate that don't forget, God is the one that's making this all happen. Right. Well, verse 7, Joshua gets officially called to lead the people. And so this is sort of this little passing of the torch. But Moses isn't done uh, giving some instructions here. He reminds them that the law needs to be read every seven years at, well, in my New King James, it called it the year of release. Obviously, this is the year of Jubilee at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they're supposed to gather everyone together, everybody who's in the area, the men, the women, the children, strangers, it says, so they may learn to fear the Lord. So every seven years, they're going to bring them together, read this law. Nobody will get the chance to forget it. I feel like in a seven-year gap, I could forget it. Yeah, if it's not constantly being practiced. You know, like Eric has said, a lot of times, all these things that we've read about, the things they were supposed to do, and how much of it did they actually do? I mean, like, especially Year of Jubilee stuff. Yeah, I've never tried to look up any like historical documentation of of what that looked like in real life or or Mm -hmm. anything like that. But that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. So they're supposed to do this, but then right right away, Moses predicts that they're going to rebel. And starts with them, Moses and Joshua presenting themselves at the tabernacle. I can say it at the tabernacle of meeting for Joshua's inauguration. And they relate that Moses is going to die. And Israel will, says, rise and play the harlot with other gods. And they will break the covenant, this covenant that has been passed down and passed down and passed down for hundreds of years. And Moses is telling them straight out, you guys are going to break this. You're not going to follow through. And it's not going to go well. Says God will well, forsake that's, them. That's not that's not Moses that says. I mean, right. Moses relays the information, but that's actually God that says that. Right. Like in verse fifteen yeah. um, or sixteen, the Lord said to Moses, "You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to foreign gods mm. of the yep. land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant that I have made. And in that day, blah 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 blah. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to them. So that's that's like that's God." Yeah. Okay. Right. So, you guys, have you heard? I'm sure you've heard in, in various prophecy meetings and this and that and the other that um, the, the prophecy 
and, and people when preach and they preach about biblical prophecy, they'll go straight to Daniel two. You know, the, the statue of uh, the uh, the empires, the successive empires of the world, and that's held as an example of like, look, God knows the future, and so on. I, I do I don't dispute that. I think that's a true thing. But picture you're back in in uh, Israel's camp, and you have seen. Let's just imagine we we've seen the ten plagues and the miraculous escape of of Israelites after hundreds of years of slavery. You've seen a pillar of fire appear, pillar of cloud. You've seen the Red Sea open. You've seen the the Egyptian army die. You've seen the the uh, Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. You've seen the earth open up and swallow up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and their their rebelliousness. You've seen Miriam getting leprosy. On and on and on. Okay, you've seen the the, the, the fiery serpents, the bronze snake, all of these things. And would you predict that after seeing all of those things? that you'd say, yeah, the people who've seen all this are probably going to totally turn their back on the God who did that. Oof. How many people Man. are going to bet that? I'm going to say, no. like, nobody, okay? But God is basically saying here, on um, 14 through uh, 22, I'm calling this way before, before you get there. It's like, I, I'm not into sports, so I couldn't tell you, but it's like picking the biggest underdog in baseball and saying, yeah, they're going to sweep the World Series 10 years in a row. And everybody's gonna like, no, that's never going to happen. They can't even make the playoffs. This is God telling us, assuring us that he knows the future. Because mm -hmm. when, when God is sharing all of this with Moses, it's got to be heartbreaking for Moses to hear this. Like all this work you've done, all this stuff that you've done, basically these people are going to turn their back on it. But it also tells me God knows the future, even the really, really, really unlikely future that we would never predict. And this precedes those Daniel prophecies by a long, long shot. And as we move forward in this story, this, this is hundreds, maybe even, I don't know how many years, but it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Moses had written this and died that these things happened. So there's, this didn't go go back and get rewritten so that it would match the future. Right. This is prophecy. And I guess I've never heard it presented. I just occurred to me just now that this is another really early prophecy of God saying, hey, look, I see the future. And sure enough, it happens. Um, and that means that matters to us today because God is still telling us, I have the future. I know it's going to happen. Stick with me. Because we're we're still in the future and it, it ain't over yet. I have a friend here in town who's um, she was atheist when I met her. She calls herself agnostic, and then here just within the last year, she's like, "I think I'm really a spiritual person." I'm like, "Um, yes." But anyway, we have interesting discussions on this, and one of the discussions is evolution versus creation, and and she's a scientist. And so when she looks at history and things like that and how the like the mechanics of how the world exists and has existed, she wants steady laws that can explain that. And I keep telling her, I don't see the conflict. <laughs> if mm -hmm. I believe in a, in, in a supreme being and I believe that that being is what made science, then science and history are what prove it to me. 
So all the way along, and I've, and I've given her lots of examples, although shockingly, I didn't think to include, include Moses's last, last uh, speech to the Israelites in prophecy, right? But um, like, there's so much prophecy, 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 prophecy. And, and that's not some mystical thing. That's a, that's a statement of observable fact from the being who knows what's going to happen. Like, that's what that is. And then when you see that play out in history, it builds faith. For me, it builds faith. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, every time I've, every time I've started having doubts about, you know, God's existence or whatever, these are the things that always bring me back is these times when he very accurately predicted the future and you can see it play out. And even today when we start seeing things playing out that were predicted thousands of years ago. And, you know, the reason that we get these prophecies is for that exact reason. It's not so much that um, you're being told what's going to happen, but when it does happen, you're able to look back and go, yeah, God said that was going to happen. And that's kind of exactly what's happening here, because now he's giving him this um, this song of Moses, telling him, when you fall away, we're going to have, I want you, Moses, to write down this song. And yeah, before we get there, before we get there, okay. that's a super interesting song. I want to hit verse 26, chapter 31, verse yes. 26. Which, well, before we get there, I think it's really cool that God again says in 23 to, to Joshua, be strong and courageous. I mean, it's just over and over and over he says that to Joshua. And he was. And that's a really cool thing because so many of Israel's leaders failed. Um, there were some good ones. And Joshua was among the very best, mm-hmm. which is a cool thing. But what's really interesting is they finished the book of this law, which is interesting because this is super important. Because when we get to the New Testament, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of this like, well, well, the law is set aside, the law is finished, mm-hmm. and we really have to know what law is being talked about. Because it's right. not always just one law. It, it, it isn't. Uh, and when we just get kind of free with whichever law we're talking about, whether it's binding or not binding or fulfilled or not fulfilled, we need to know what law is being talked about. And here is is one of those clues. I'll just actually read it because it's super important. This is chapter 31, verse 24, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law into a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Now, we were told earlier what's in the ark. You guys remember what's like in the ark? Um, let's see. Isn't it like the Ten Commandments and a bowl of manna and no. Aaron's rod? No. I think Aaron's rod no. is in there too, isn't it? Yes. And that's it. That's, that's it. Inside this is the Ark of the Covenant, underneath the mercy seat, beneath the, I believe it's called, I probably pronounced it wrong, the Shekinah glory. And that's the order of things. God's glory first, then his mercy seat, as we're going down, top to bottom. Um, the glory, the mercy seat. Then we have the law, God's promise of provision, and his supernatural leading. And outside of that, we have this book of the law as a reminder and as a witness against you. Yep. 
and I know where you're going with this. If we go to Colossians, Colossians, Colossians. See, I, when I was reading this, this also because it popped up before. Remember, we said that there was other books that we ran into earlier on, and it's been a month or so ago, and we were like, "Wow, I wonder where that book came into to play." But when I saw this, it automatically took me to um, uh, some of the kings of Israel. And the young king, Josiah, remember yeah. when they were remodeling the temple, said that they had lost the book of the law. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And they had to go back, and they finally found it, and then he had to read it. And yep. that kind of convicted them of what they were doing wrong. So, Matt, you were headed yep. to the New Testament. Yeah, if you read in Colossians 2, starting in verse 13, I think, here. Make sure I'm looking in the right place. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, that sounds to me like a direct reference to what we just wrote or read in, uh, where were we? No, well, lost in my one, we're in 126. Yeah, 26, where it talks about, take this book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may be there as a witness against you. So there, mm. so it, it seems to me that one is a direct relation or is a direct uh, comment on the other one. The stuff in, what I'm saying is the Ten Commandments were never against us. The Ten Commandments were there to help us, to help us see. To live, to prosper. To live and to prosper. Yeah. To get along. But these others, it says right here, this is a witness against you. And then when Colossians, I believe that's Paul writing, he -hmm. talks about the exact same thing, this law that's against you. And, um. It seems to me that that's what he's talking about, not about the Ten Commandments, not about these commandments that are there to help you to to, to help you um, live a more prosperous life, help you to live a more peaceful life, just to be a better person in general. Yeah, it could mm. be, and I think that without without t- t- um, looking at the, the uh, dissecting all the New Testament things, I would just encourage the listeners to really be aware of and think of now is the law. Like Hebrews is like mostly about the law, one way or another, and the covenants. It's like, is this the covenant of how we are saved? Is this a covenant of priestly ministry? Is this a law having to do with... And so I'm not going to unpack all those things. I'm just saying, look, we're here in Deuteronomy, and right now we're seeing something pretty significant happen that is saying not all of these things are equal. So just be aware of that as we move forward and do our study and ask, well, what was that law doing? Was that law pointing forward to uh, a coming Messiah? Was that uh, law having to do with their life in the desert? You know, just some basic sanitation thing. Was their law having to do with uh, priestly ministry? Was the law having... Basically just saying, it would be really super handy if they just like referred to it by like, law one, law two. <laughs> the set of this laws, and then would know what we're talking about, but we don't we don't have that, and so we've got to kind of parse this as to, well, is this the, quote, book of the law? Because remember, the other one's like written on stone by God's hand. Uh, it's not a book that Moses wrote. Right. And there's some interesting things. 
So to the song, if we're ready to go there of Moses, I thought mm-hmm. this was, I, I don't know. These like, you're going to remember this song and you're going to sing it to each other and it will remind you of what jerks you're going to be. And I just remember how fun would that be to sing this song? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. we're going to sing this and what tune is it that's like, oh yeah, we're going to go wrong and do bad things and we're going to be, I don't know. Did any of that? Crooked generation and terrible. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got it. It needs to be sung like a country song. (laughs) (laughs) How we're going to fail and how we're going to lose and how it's going to be. That makes sense. There's no chorus, Eric. Without a hook, how will anyone remember it? I don't know. I'm not a musical person. I'm going to turn that over to you. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go out on a very short limb and say that all... 43 verses of chapter 32 would not stick in my head, but perhaps my memory is the same as this verbally oriented society. Perhaps I need the internet and written books to get by. Yeah, it's not a catchy song. It doesn't seem to be. And I will heap disasters upon him, and I will spend my arrows on him. They yeah. should be tempted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, the song the song starts out though by with giving some perspective because it talks about how God is the rock, His work is perfect, His ways fair, yes. are justice, and so everything that falls after that is like you know comparison. You know? Yeah, so good point. We don't want to go by past that. This rock in my Bible is in verse four thirty two four is capitalized. How about you guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So this is this is important because in the New Testament, and if we were hit that we're gonna hit this in Psalms, in the New Testament we get Jesus talking about the rock and which rock the church is built upon and so on. And is that a rolling stone that's Peter? Or is this a rock that way precedes, you know, his let's say flighty nature? <laughs> the cornerstone doesn't jesus get called the cornerstone at some point that's yeah. my point is that this this rock and this stone is we don't get any idea that this might fail this is this is presented to us as a metaphor that it will not fail it will never move. Yeah. it's just like we're we're experiencing horrible horrible forest fires here in colorado right now we've got the Earlier in the week, we had the Colorado's largest wildfire in history burning. And then literally overnight, there was another fire that became Colorado's largest forest fire in history. Mm-hmm. And it burns everything. We're 50 miles uh, downwind of these fires, and my driveway is just covered in ashes of the forest. Okay, yeah. so it's just burning. But guess what's left? The rocks. <laughs> you can go up there and... I mean, it's so hot in some of these fires. It sterilizes the soil. Like it, nothing can even grow. It's just sterile. You could go and eat it, and there's there's no microbes in it. It's just it's sterile. But guess what's there? The rocks. Like the rocks are just, they're still there. They're always there, and they're still there. They are not moving. It's just nothing moves them. And this metaphor, as we go through, and we'll get to some other stuff too, is that as God presents himself to this, this isn't, 
he never presents himself with metaphors that are temporary. We're going to get to some super cool stuff with that in the Psalms as we get to, because we're including, in case you forgot, if you joined us later, Moses wrote Psalm 90 and 91. We're going to get to those here in just a little bit. But God never presents himself in a metaphor of something that's here today and gone tomorrow. We are presented as metaphors like that. Grass of the field, flowers, (laughs) they bloom and they go. Yeah, and before all of the... um... All of the downplaying of the Israelites happens. I noticed here, verse fifteen. There was a there was a term used that I hadn't seen before, and we actually don't see it a whole lot in the Bible. It was Jeshurun. You, yeah. you guys have that? Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm like Jeshurun. What's Jeshurun? Who's Jeshurun? I had to actually do a little. I assumed it was talking about Israel, but I was like, when have we ever heard or talked about like this before? And so I had to look up and see what it meant. It means basically a symbol for uprightness. Um, and it's like it's like this term of endearment that God's given to to Israel. You know, you're you're this symbol for uprightness. You're this symbol that I've placed here in the world for everybody to see. And they hold a special place in God's heart. But it uh, <laughs> it quickly goes to they have provoked me to anger by what is not good there in verse 21. So, you know, what they were supposed to be and what they eventually became kind of. Kind of two different things. Were there any particular things here in the song that stuck out to any of you? I mean, I've got notes here, but if you guys had some particular things that stuck out, we can talk about those. There's a few. There's one line in verse 21 that really struck out, stuck out to me. Um, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. God's kind of to me, as I read that, I'm like, that's fascinating because he, we've spent, essentially, this is a really interesting thing. As, as some, another minister pointed out to me, it's like, we've got the history of the world here in the, in the, in the Pentateuch, right? Mm-hmm. And we get like a few chapters on like the first thousands of years of creation and the flood and like, and then it's like, oh, and then Abraham. It's kind of like we're watching a YouTube video at 100 speed. <laughs> wait, 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 what happened? What was that? And then all of a sudden we hit Moses and now we're playing it at 0.75 speed. And we're like, whoa, wait, we slowed way. What happened? We're almost whiplashed, right? Mm. Um, we slow way, 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 way down. And it's the focus is on Israel. It's Israel. It's God's people. It's the promise to Abraham. And we're almost going in slow motion. And then he just kind of drops this in the middle. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to make you guys jealous with the people who are not even a people. It's like, whoa, wait. He's he's going to shift gears on these folks, and then he just like moves right on. Like It's like, oh, did you hear something? No, I didn't hear. It's, I don't know, I just struck that. I was struck by that, like, this, all these promises, and this Israel, 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 Israel. He's giving a hint, I think, that this isn't forever, people. Mm-hmm. We're going to turn a corner here. Also... Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 35, vengeance is mine and recompense, which is I will repay, which is, I think, a principle. There's a lot of principles that we can pick up as we read these things. I think that's an important one. Yeah. I thought, I found uh, 26 and 27 interesting when they're talking. He says, he's basically talking about how how he's going to punish Israel. He says, I will dash them in pieces. Uh, I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. It goes on and it says, lest they should say, our hand is high and it is not the Lord who has done all this. Mm -hmm. He's recognizing that 
Israel is, uh, they're going to know that they're in a high position, right? And they're going to have, there's going to be this, we always have this tendency as human beings to look at our accomplishments and go, yep, I did that, you know? And here God is just telling them, look, guys, this wasn't you. This was all me. And you need to be, you need to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. His comparisons that come after that are kind of colorful. You know, they, they are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock, capital R, had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? For their rock, small r, is not like our rock, capital R, as even our enemies concede. You know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's it's kind of like a, this is, this is a time in history when there were multiple gods. Every nation around had at least one god. And so there's a... There's a lot of God comparison. Like, nope, I'm the one and only. I am the God among gods, capital G. Yeah, verse 39 says, Now see that I, even I, am he, and there's no God besides me. That, yeah. th- That's a big reminder to the Israelites because as you read forward, like Eric likes to say, spoiler alert, they're going to fall into idolatry. And for us today... It's still poignant because we have all of our own versions of idolatry today where we might not specifically carve an idol, but we have so many other things that we place in higher esteem than God. I say we as a society. And there's even some people that they're literally worshiping other gods and thinking that it's perfectly fine. And and the funny thing about, not funny, not funny, haha, but, you know, the funny thing about it is that they will they'll they'll act like worshiping another god is no big deal because you know if that's what you believe then then go for it but god has always been clear and i suppose a lot of religions maybe can claim this but god has always been clear that he's the only one there there's there's no other game in town it's there's one god there's one creator and he's it and i mean that stands to logic to me that there can only be one god worthy of of worshiping regardless of what other beings, entities, whatever, rise up and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm worth worshiping, you know. And God's reminding them, no, nope, it's just me, period. Yeah, along, those, along that point, one thing to, to note is that 15 to 18 is written in past tense. You ever notice that? We talked about that, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew okay. fat and sleek. The whole thing is written in Pat. They stirred him to jealousy, which is a very interesting thing, is that from God's perspective, this all already happened. It's a done thing. Yeah. And as as we just skip ahead to verse 40, for example, where he says, For I lift up my hand to heaven as I swear and swear as I live forever. He is pointing out that he is timeless. And this is the same God who in Exodus 3.14 introduces himself to Moses as I am. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is that is exists in all the past, in the present, and in the future. We're going to see some cool stuff like that in the Psalms also. Is that God is reminding them that he is transcendent of time. Outside of time. 
yeah, I'll remember that. I can kind of remember the first time I gathered that concept in my head, understanding, how do you understand it? But, you know, understanding the idea that God is outside of time, that he doesn't work with time the way we do. Past, present, and future is not a thing for him. Um, and it was when Jesus said, uh, before, before Abraham was, I am. Right. And, right. uh, you know, I mean, that was a, that was a big revelation to me in a lot of ways. I mean, I think that was the first time I understood that Jesus was actually God, I think. Uh, but it was also the first time I kind of started to grasp the idea of God's, um, eternal nature in in a way that, I mean, you know, we can watch science fiction movies about time travel and things like that. And we can sort of, you know, get like a little glimmer of an idea of what it means. I don't think we can really comprehend what it means to experience all time simultaneously. You know, it's a, it, I mean, it just, it boggles my mind. I could, I, I would say I could talk about it for hours, but truthfully I can't because I, I can barely, I can barely comprehend the, the concept of it. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And when it comes to, when it comes to ideas like that, that really stretch, I mean, like I'm so limited in my perspective because I live, I have a beginning and an end and my life proceeds down this invisible line until I reach my end point. Like I can't undo that. I can't change that. I can't Groundhog Day myself back to have a do-over like that. It just doesn't work that way. And it's similar with, I mean, I, I basically, I remember as a kid trying to think that through and get my brain around it. And I eventually had to ask myself, okay, well, put it this way. If God made time, he can't be in it. He can't be stuck in it because that would mean it existed before him. And, you know, like that's, that's kind of that. And if, if God had a be the other concept that used to sort of hurt my brain was that God had no beginning. It's like, well, okay, well, if he had a beginning, then what was before him? You know, and I used to have to sort of put limits on it and ask myself those questions to try and get, get the dumb thing to sink in. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's part to me that, that convinces me that this God is God because he has no beginning. I, I can't even, we can't grasp that concept. We can't grasp it. You know, how, how did somebody come up with this idea? You know, if this isn't true, who, how did somebody come up with this idea thousands and thousands of years ago? You know? that something that something wouldn't have a beginning. I mean, every other mythology that I can think of, they pinpoint the beginning of their gods, you know, you know the Titans and, and Zeus and, and all of them and bizarre ways that they came into being. And, and, um, you know, if you get into the Norse mythology, you see, you, they've got their mythology around how the gods began. But but not this one. This one is just he always existed and always will. And it's mind blowing. Let's see. Anything else there in the Song of Moses that you want to touch on? Um, ah, Verse 43, I like rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So God is calling the Gentiles here. He talks about he will avenge. He will render vengeance. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. God will provide the atonement. You know, we've gone through all this, these five books of law and talking of all the sacrifices and atonements and, and, and animals that would have to die and, and various things for the sake of atonement. But God is saying right here, I mean, this is almost like a prophecy too. 
He's calling the Gentiles, and he, God, is going to provide the atonement for you. Let's move on to um, chapter 33. Moses has given some final blessings on Israel. And he talks about how he talks about how the Lord came. He gave a law through Moses and was king in Jeshurun. There's that term again. Now there were some. I got to look at, look at this. See exactly because my quite getting my notes here. Some blessings. Oh yeah, okay. He's giving blessings to individual tribes here again. To Reuben gets a blessing. Basically, let let him live. Uh, Judah gets a blessing. A blessing of work and protection from enemies. Uh, Levi gets a blessing. Ministry to the people and for the people. Benjamin gets safety in the Lord. Joseph, now that's interesting, Joseph gets brought up here. Blessings on the land and cooperation with God. Zebulun and Issachar, blessings on ventures in the sea and land. Some of this sounds a lot like, um, was it Jacob? Was it Jacob when he was given blessings? Yeah, his were a little bit yeah. mixed. These these seem to be mostly actually blessings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gad, blessed is he who enlarges God. I like that Benjamin got to ride on God's shoulders. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Dan is compared gets compared to a baby lion. You know, I mean, I don't know exactly what all these blessings are all about. Naphtali. Uh, he will get to possess the West and the South. Asher will be favored by his brothers in strength and life. Uh, so, you know, just these blessings, these final blessings that Moses is giving. Verse 26, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun. The eternal God is your refuge. And who is like, oh yeah, 29, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? What a reminder. Nobody in history at that time had seen anything like this where God specifically raised up a people to be a nation, to be blessed, to come out of uh, uh, you know such humble beginnings. I mean, at first I was going to say come out of slavery, but it's even before that. It was just Abraham, one guy. Yeah. You know? And nobody has ever seen anything like this before. And they're being reminded here, there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you who has had this. And you need to remember that. Well, with that, let's move into the Psalms here briefly before we finish the book. Psalms 90 and 91. Now, Eric alluded here that these were written by Moses. For a long time, I always thought that all the Psalms were written by David. And as, of course, if I've studied more, started to realize that, no, the Psalms are written actually by a lot of people. A lot of it's by David. But here we have some that were specifically written by Moses. Uh, Psalm 90. Starts Moses's, it's a prayer of Moses. And it specifically tells us that right there in, in its own text. But this is a prayer of Moses. And this was actually earlier on. We probably we should have read, read this quite a while ago, back when we were in uh, Numbers. It's a prayer about the eternity of God and man's frailty. Yes. It starts out about how God has always existed, and man, and he always will exist, but man's existence is fleeting. He compares it to grass. So, so I think it was like grass that grows up in the morning, and then at the, uh, how does it put it? Well, yeah, in, in five, there's all kinds of things. We're compared to yeah. just, we're dust. Yeah. I mean, 
three. Um, we're not even, we don't even have that much physicality in verse five. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream. It's like we're a dream. Like you wake up, it didn't even exist. And as soon as you open your eyes, it's not there. It's like that does. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no comparison between the two of us where, where God is this, like we've already talked about this eternal, always existing, always will exist, always has existed being and we are so fleeting in the scheme of things and you know it's kind of telling me that moses was understanding some things there that i think a lot of people even now just start are barely able to grasp their minds around when we you know if you look out into oh like satellite imagery of of space and you see just how vast things are and how unbelievably small this planet is in the wide scope of the universe and you look at those pictures and you just think what kind of significance do I have at all with that you know in comparison and God is bigger than all of that you know it is it's mind-blowing to think about how unable we are to compare ourselves to God yeah, I would encourage our, our listeners to read Psalm 90 and 91 in a version that speaks to you that's that's um, that's understandable. That's the main mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. see the as as God presents himself through the through the prophetic writing of Moses, because uh, he says in, in 90 verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's past. And we talk about like thousand years is like a day. No, it's like yesterday. Well, how long is yesterday when you think of it? It comes and goes in the instant you think of yesterday. That's how long yesterday is. It's like a fraction of a second. That's how long a thousand years is, you know, or as a watch in the night. It, like I slept pretty well last night, which is a real blessing. Doesn't always happen. But how long did the time between uh, two and four go? It was gone before I even woke up. Like it didn't even exist, really. And so, and Moses is saying a thousand years to God is like that. It's, it's just, it comes and goes. It's a timelessness. And so when it gets to 12, I think kind of here is the so that part. Because up until then, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10, and so on are, remind me a lot of Ecclesiastes. Outside of the reading we're doing in Deuteronomy, I'm doing other reading. And I'm working through Ecclesiastes, which is kind of a downer book. It's just like eh, <laughs> everything's happened and it doesn't matter and, you know, comes and goes. And and so th- there's a little hint of that before this. But in 12, it says, so, so it's kind of like a, we're telling all these things. And they're like, and here's the punchline. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, when I was reading this, I was just looking at it as, you know, I think it's when you know the the end is near and you get that reflective clarity to where you've been, where you came from, and the journey. And yeah. I think that's that's how it's wrapped up in all this. And but I think he also lends it to say that, you know what, you still need to be vigilant and you still need yes. to follow the Lord. Yeah. But but this is the journey. And I think that he you know when he starts it off by the whole knowing 
the vastness of God and saying, you know what, I do know that he's been here way before we got here and that he brought all the mountains up and, you know, and all the great works he has done. I think that's the acknowledgement of, you know what, without him, I wouldn't have done this journey. There would have been no journey. And I think it's that clarity that he finds that he's trying to relay in these in these psalms. Yeah, that verse 12, that, that stuck out to me too, because it's like he's been, he's telling him, he's t- saying, well, he says, the way mine reads, it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's like, help us to understand that our time is short and we need to value it. And we need to use that time for our benefit. And here, specifically, gaining wisdom. I mean, there's really, there's nothing more valuable that we can attain than wisdom, because through wisdom, like all of them, everything comes. So use your time wisely, basically, is what that verse is telling us. Yep. So, Eric, you mentioned Ecclesiastes, and and um, uh, the, one of my one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the very end of Ecclesiastes. So it's actually two verses, thirteen and fourteen, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, it says, "Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter: Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil." Mm-hmm. There you go. So there's there's the perspective, right? Like like what um, what it says in Psalm 91, verse 10, our days may come to 70 years, 80 if our strength endures, right? Everything passes away. So focus on what's important. Be aware that everything you do will be shown eventually. It's, yeah. an, it's only a secret from the people around you and sometimes yourself if you're really good at self-delusion. Yeah. God knows all of it. It will be exposed. Live conscientiously. Just do it right. That, that's kind of like the thing that I got out of this. Yeah. Yeah. And Psalm 91 then is more specifically uh, relating to the end of Deuteronomy here, where the people are they're moving into this new phase of the existence of the nation. And this psalm is all about safety of abiding in the presence of God. Yeah. So as they go forward, this is where they'll be safe. This is where if if they stay with God, they will be safe. And he says, I will save the Lord. Did he you guys is my read refuge anything in my fortress. into Oh sorry. No, go ahead. I got a bad connection. I I've got a kind of a tough internet connection. So I like I think there's silence and so I start talking and then it turns out somebody else is talking already and then I don't hear it for a few seconds. And anyway, sorry. Um, did you guys look into the history of Psalm 91 at all? Like the theories on where it came from or when Moses wrote it? I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm -mm. Tell us. Um, so it's, um, it's referenced in the, you'll see at the top of it, it doesn't say a Psalm of Moses or a song of Moses. Right. Right. So I wondered why they were so sure that it was Moses who wrote it. So I looked it up. And, um, so a a midrash is an old rabbinic, sort of translation tool or interpretation tool like a commentary would be to us now and they they have been written over the centuries there's lots of midrashes a midrash is a category of of book right and it's for interpretation of scripture so there are some there are some midrashes i don't know if that's the plural but we'll just say that that say that moses wrote this when the tabernacle was completed which is kind of a cool way to look at it, like the tent tabernacle out in the wilderness. 
Yeah. And then there's others that say that he wrote this climbing Mount Sinai to go see God, to get the Ten Commandments as a like a song of protection, that he wrote this on the climb up. Hmm. So I thought those were both neat. I don't know, you know, we, I, that that's all I know about it. Like, that's the end of my knowledge right there. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, I suppose we don't really know when he wrote these things, but we know he wrote them. Yeah, yeah cool. 91 is also one that I would recommend reading. It's really amazing. Um, and it's mm-hmm. neat to think that, that, that Moses is writing this because we just read a psalm of remembrance, which is this is basically this downer of a song. Yeah. Of how bad you're going to do. But it, I guess I never really thought of it is that it's paired with this. So it's, it's, and, and so so often we want to like, well, is God for us or against us? It's like, well, it kind of depends on what your what cards you're playing. You know what right. what are what choices are you making? And if you and this is a thing that's just so forgotten. It's the shortest word in in the Pentateuch, but it's so important. Also in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you name it. It's the it's the word if. <laughs> if you do this, it can go this way. If you do this other thing, it would. And so our our constant like, well, what's God going to, you know, is it this way or this way? It's like, well, what did you choose? You know, and Psalm 91 is very different than Deuteronomy 32 in that God is, wants to give promise. Now, I want to just speak briefly before we get back into Deuteronomy 34 to Psalm 91 verses 9, 10, and 11. I'll read those real quick. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Sounds like the kind of thing that we'd get on a graduation greeting card or, you know, a a get well soon. It's like, hey, don't worry, this is not going to be anything for you. Because God promised you won't get sick. Right here. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, I'm going to 12, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. It sounds like an ironclad promise forever that we will never have difficulty in the future. Now, where do we hear those words in the New Testament? Do you remember, and do you remember who says them? Jesus says them to Satan, to his face. Yes and no. It is 4, 6, the first. Now let me read uh, Matthew 4, 6. And this is Satan speaking. I'll start in 5. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, quote, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan is speaking and quoting this psalm to Jesus. So, is it true or not true? Mm. Oh! <laughs> okay, so Jesus, and this is this is Jesus speaking, and he quotes again. Instead of just making up a... a an answer, Jesus quotes scripture again, and Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. And this is a word that is horrifying to some people, and it can be used as a tool to 
deconstruct the Bible if one has that inclination. But I, I would rather we use the word to instruct ourselves, and that is the word context. Mm-hmm. What is the context of the words being spoken to whom, when? Because this thing, this, this, um, uh, in, in back to Psalms 91, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Okay. So I, to our listeners, I've known Matt and Karen and Tracy for a number of years, and I'm not going to spill the beans on them, but I know for a fact there has been plague and evil touched each of our lives. Yeah. Yep. And so this idea that no harm will ever befall us because, hey, in verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You know, we won't even stub our toe in verse 12. So I know this is a challenging thing. And my point is not to say, oh, well, God didn't really mean that because I do think he means that. But he may mean it in a way we don't understand because Mm -hmm. While, with, where, while there's this promise, you won't strike your foot against a stone, you won't even stub your toe, what happened to Jesus? Yeah. Significantly more than a stubbed toe, I would propose, at the crucifixion. And so I think that it's really important that we remember that these things all have to fall under, like Jesus' final prayer in, in Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. Right. And I think that's where it gets lost, that that we we don't look at, you know, here's one of those Marvel-esque kind of words that, that Matt will get, but we don't know the end game. Yeah. And, I think that, and, that's, and that's the part that is so hard for us to understand and that we want to, to, to use that text as, as being reassuring, but we don't know the end game. And the end game would also ultimately be us in heaven with Jesus and overcoming this world. And I think we put that context here into our day day to day too much. And there's, there's that crossover from faith to presumption. And Jesus didn't, he specifically went the other direction. The devil's like, test it. You know, God said it. Why don't you act presumptuously? Do something that you, you know, based on, you know, the world that we live in, Will probably not be a good idea, but go ahead and do it and 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 just claim God's promise. I went through this week and I had somebody propose to me, "Why don't you you know go ahead and do the thing?" Because I mean, God's promised. Like ah, but I know that the reaping, you know, the sowing and reaping world we live in. If I make that choice intentionally to go in a direction that by the rules of this natural world will end, could end badly. Why would I test God that way? Like, ah, but you have to have faith. I, wow, this is a thing that we all have to. But I think, too, you have to practice good judgment. You know, and just like you said, you know the, the sowing and the reaping of this world. I think you have to practice judge, good judgment in, in that as well. I'm just saying it's tough. It's, yeah. it's, it's a it's a it's a challenging thing is that here in Psalm 91, we have God saying, you know, because you made the Lord your dwelling place. Is does that mean that I go out and, you know, right, it's the next verse, 
you will tread on the lion and the adder. You know, it's like there's people who's like, well, if you really had faith, you'd handle this rattlesnake. Here, you next. And yeah. it's like, I, I'll be honest with you. I have not attended that church. All pass. pass. <laughs> In unison, all pass. <laughs> and Snakes. so I say it, it's a, and I think, Tracy, to your point, is that it's ultimately maybe battle by battle. We don't know how it's going to go, but we do know how the war ends. And it's and it's like Jesus says, because he really didn't want to go to the cross right then. In Gethsemane, I don't think he's just saying those like, look, is there any way I can save mankind and not do this? Right. I think he was absolutely for real serious. Like, hey, mm-hmm. if there's another way we can do this, let's do that instead. But God and Jesus ultimately said, not my will, but yours be done. And, and that's, that's right. Being he crossed over that. At that moment, that's where he crossed over that. We can temper the entire, this entire chapter by with the beginning of the chapter, where it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. And you go on and it talks about, because of that, it talks about, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the sorrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon day. Because you put God... You, you call him you refuge because you trust in him. You're not afraid of these things, but nowhere does it say there that these things won't happen. Right. In just verse 15, sh- it just says it? right here, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. It doesn't say, and I will make sure no trouble happens. He's saying, no, I will be with you in the trouble. Yeah. It's like a yeah. promise we're going to have trouble, but a promise that he'll be with us in it. Right. Yeah. Karen, you were trying to say something. Yeah, so (laughs) I'm remembering all of the times that that in reading through the story of the gospel, I have been frustrated with Israel at the time of Jesus' birth and ministry and death, like that whole period of time, because they were so enmeshed in their trench, right? The path that they were plodding along and the Romans who were over them and the mistreatment they were suffering being a subservient nation. And and I'm remembering that they completely missed the coming of their own Messiah because their perspective was such that they were looking for the wrong salvation. And and I, I I think of this regularly because this is this is a battle for me. Like Hebrews, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Where's the line between walking out in bold faith and presumption? I struggle with this all the time. But I think that the bigger picture is the perspective of God's will being continually in action and us being willing to step into that. Um, regardless of whether we know the exact form that that's going to take. And I think that is the confidence that we're talking about. I think that's the lack of fear that we're talking about. I've been saying since the beginning of 2020 or since like COVID kind of raised its ugly head, like, why is the world on fire? Well, now here we are in Northern Colorado and the world kind of is literally on fire. It's literally on fire. Like things are burning. It's astounding. The amount of destruction going on is just sickening. And the, the whole nation is escalated and I'm watching the whole world, really. And I'm watching all of this going, God, if there's one thing I need right now, it's perspective. 
because what I feel like I need salvation for is probably a lot smaller than what I actually need salvation from, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, the, the Psalm 91 ends up with basically, because God loves me, I will honor him. It's always God first, you know. He steps out first, and then we respond. And it's, it's up to us to respond. The book ends with chapter 34. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy ends then with chapter 34, as we go back to it. And this is ultimately where Moses dies. And it makes me wonder when he stopped writing and somebody else picked it up, or maybe... Or did he, you know, just kind of write it um, ahead of time? I don't know, but um, I don't. Which I don't think so. I don't think so. Is that like it's, writing your own obituary? Sort of. <laughs> at some point, at some point, I'm I'm gonna guess Joshua probably started writing. Maybe I don't know, but he goes to the top of Mount Pisgah and God shows him the land of Gilead, which once again he's not getting to go in. Um, but it's still kind of something that he gets to see it. He gets to look out over it and know, you know, I can only imagine, I can think looking looking out over this land, knowing that this is the land that for 400 plus years has been promised. This is the land that all these people that, that have been going with you for decades, they've been looking to. It's just, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sobering moment. It's kind of a somber moment. But it's there's like a there's sort of a triumph in it too, of of seeing, seeing this. Uh, I mean, if you've ever stood on a high place and looked out over the world, you know, if you were able to look at that and know that there was some more significance other than you just climbed a mountain, but knowing that this is exactly what everybody you know has been looking forward to for for all this time. I can just sort of imagine the way he must have felt looking out over that and 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 seeing where God had led and had led him and had led the Israelite people. And because um, God reminds him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That's like bringing back all that history. This is this is what you've all been waiting for for so long. And Moses, he gets to see it. But yeah, I think I don't think he saw it with his own eyes because it's really interesting. It's easy to miss this. The beginning of thirty-four, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Mm. It's yeah. different than and Moses looked. Yeah. The, and because you read the you read the geography of what Mo, what what um, Moses saw, he's got some like satellite vision if. If he's just seeing all this, then I believe that this is a vision that God is showing him of what Israel will eventually be. That kind of that, you know, panoramic view of, you know, maybe the high points of, of, you know, everything that's going to be in Canaan at that point, you know, as God presents it, as he presented it to the, like the prophets, you know, this is what you're going to see, you know, and they were moved to tears. I think, I think it was one of those kind of presentations. You know, it's, one thing that struck me as I was looking at this is that people are like, well, in the Old Testament, they, they were saved and kept by their uh, commandment keeping. That's their method of salvation. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Moses, 
Moses, who talked to God on multiple occasions, face to face on Mount Sinai, saw God. He put his hand out like God is saying, yeah, you haven't earned this. Sorry, if Moses didn't earn this, nobody ever in history did. Nobody. This salvation thing was a faith in the sacrifice, in the blood of another, always. Always. It was never. And you get to you get your past by keeping the commandments. And we got people today who struggle with that. Like, well, I sinned and God can't forgive me because I broke a, you know, insert whatever it is. It's like, the, you no, you can't pay for that. You're not good enough. It didn't matter if you didn't do that one. There was something you broke. I mean, Moses is, God tells him, you're not going in. You shall not go over there. Verse four. But Moses this is a super awesome, amazing thing. God buries him by hand because he went, he goes up by himself. Mm-hmm. And it's told that he's buried because we know that the Israelites would have idolized him. They would have built a shrine around him and a temple and a, like, a good grief. They, they idolized the golden serpent later. And so God on purpose said, you don't know where he's going to be buried. I'm going to bury him. And there's this verse in Jude 9, because this is an interesting thing. Fast forward, we have the transfiguration of Jesus. You remember what happens there? Is that Elijah and Moses show up and talk to to um, to Jesus. And I think it's Peter who's like, oh, it's awesome that you're here. Um, like, can we make tents for you? As like, yeah. He doesn't know what else to say, right? right? His mind is blown. And we might come to the conclusion, it's like, oh, well, all of God's saints are in heaven. They're just all there when they die. I propose mm. that's not the case because in, Eli- in Elijah's case, in 2 Kings 2.11, it's very, very clear how he got to heaven. This is where there are the chariots of fire, which is like, blows my mind. And I get emotional when I think about that. Um, Elisha gets to see this just like, wow, thing happen. And that's how Elijah gets to heaven. And in Moses' case, we might think, well, you know, I mean, he was just probably he just died and went to heaven. No, there's a very specific thing in Jude 9, <laughs> Jude chapter 9, and Jude just mentions this in passing. It's like, yeah, when Michael was uh, fighting with the devil over the body of Moses, you know, that story, and then he goes on with his main point, and we're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Back up. <laughs> yeah, and again, we're just, it goes through super quick, and we're not told any more details, except that there was a specific mission to take Moses to heaven after his death. It's his body. And I think it's just worth noting that those cases where in the transfiguration Moses shows up, we're given a quick glimpse, too quick in my opinion, but there it is, of how Moses got to heaven. And so this is the crazy cool thing. It's like God shows Moses. Moses doesn't know this. Like, you don't get to go in. You don't get to see this. And Moses is like, oh, I'll die then. Okay. And he dies. And at what point, how long was he dead? I don't know. He ends up in heaven. And it's kind of like I feel sad for Moses in 34. It's like, well, you get to look at it from this perspective, but you don't get to go. And I'm thinking, yeah, but he gets a better perspective later. It gets way more awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite the consolation prize. <laughs> right? It's like, well, second place is you get the best thing ever, 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 ever. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Where do I sign up consolation prize right it's like sorry you didn't get the plastic uh metal that you thought you were going to get yeah yeah (laughs) yeah your parting gift 
Well, so if Moses does die, like I said before, it says his eyes were not dim nor his natural vigor diminished. So this was not this wasn't what you would consider a natural death. It's like he just just probably laid down and died, you know, and uh, just because that's what was going to happen right then. Well, that was part of the plan, and I think I think yep. God had to had to make it that way to say that you know what nothing else touched him. It yep. was my divine judgment that said he can't go in. So nothing yes. physically was wrong with him, and right. yes. so he didn't right. want that ever to be mistaken. And I think that's why it was pointed out just like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty sobering if you were there in the children of Israel and you're like, there wasn't a thing wrong with him. And I represent, I misrepresented God. And as a result, I don't, I don't get to go in. That would be pretty like, wow, maybe I better not blow off this advice that I've been given. Yeah. Well, then we're told that Joshua becomes a leader and then the book ends with a eulogy for Moses. And like, maybe I'll just read it here. Cause it's, it's like a fitting end to the to this story that was going on for so long. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. It's quite the eulogy. It's quite the... Uh, quite the resume there that that Moses had and you know that uh, that face-to-face part really stands out God God and Moses face-to-face because I don't think we really see that again do we I mean I know that we have people have visions and whatnot but this the direct that direct line like that I don't I don't think we ever see that again I think even John the Revelator, I mean, he's kind of taken around with an angelic tour guide, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's not, I mean, even John is not, even, I mean, he knew Jesus in life. And he's not there in that kingdom of heaven seeing him face to face at that point. Yeah, this is no small thing. Yeah. And it reminds me that this is why Jesus, at the Mount of Transfiguration, I this is, this is, I don't want to, speculate you know incorrectly but i think jesus wanted to see an old friend you know i think it is an old friend and i think it's somebody it's it's that confidant that you know going back and forth he he had that interaction with humans that just could not get it together and it just broke his heart and i think that's that common ground that he needed in gethsemane to say you know what i am doing everything i possibly can and it's just not working. You know, yeah. and I think the yeah. only person that could really understand that was two of the other players that dealt with human nature. Yeah. And say, you know what? I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of wraps the book of Deuteronomy for us, and it wraps that Pentateuch or the Torah, whichever you want to call it. You know, this reading through through these books, for me, it's been kind of an eye-opener. I realize here that in these five books, you basically have the entire plan of salvation laid out. Um, you know, we have a sal- we have we have deliverance, we have a savior, we have grace, we have you know direction for a good life. Everything that they needed was right here in these in these books, and it occurs to me that everything we're going to read after this kind of 
relates back to this all the way through Old Testament, New Testament, everything. Everything's going to compare to this or it's going to expand on this. But God, you know, it's not like he it's not like he um left people in the dark wondering how how things would work out for them. He spelled it all. He, and maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they didn't quite understand everything, but you know, we have our hindsight and we look back and we see all of this and we see we can see that that everything was right there. And from the very beginning, you know, sacrifice and salvation and grace and uh, faith, everything. It's all it's all there. So, um, you know, I'm sort of belaboring it just because this is the end of an era in the Bible. And moving forward, everything's going to be just a little bit different. Yeah. And and, um, you know, I mean, the Jewish people, even still, they still look back at Torah as as like their Bible, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. They have a lot of the old, te- they got old Testament too, but you know, they've got prophets and, and whatnot, but, but that Torah is, is like central to everything. And, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been, it was a huge journey for the Israelites. And I think it was a, it was a journey for us studying through that. So I'm grateful that we were able to do this and, and dig in deep like this. Yeah. And, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been a rare slice there. So very, yeah, I like it. Cool. I learned yeah. so much in these first five books. Again, I swear mm-hmm. every time I read these, I learn more. Oh yeah. 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 It's been, it's been pretty fascinating. Well, I think that's probably our time for this week. Uh, starting next week, then we get into the book of Joshua. We'll read Joshua one through five and uh, see where that takes us. Uh, while you're waiting for that, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Find us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast. And be sure to subscribe to us so that you get us in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.